0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the Book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Well, good morning again. Now, in the past 100 years, there are few companies that had the success, that had the brand recognition, or the cultural impact of a company by the name of Kodak. So significant was this company's influence in our culture that the name became synonymous with special times in our lives. Do you remember that? The Kodak moment? It was part of our culture. Started 130 years ago by a guy by the name of George Eastman, the Rochester, New York company held a patent for the first digital camera. Most of us probably didn't know that. They were once one of the most innovative and creative companies in the entire world until they weren't. You see, today some 40 years after a steady and consistent decline, they are reaping the negative benefits of bad business decisions year after year, season after season, 40 years of them that ultimately led them to file for bankruptcy in 2010. Now today, Kodak employs just 5,000 people. I'd say, well, that's that's a lot. 5,000 people is not a lot when you turn the clock back and recognize that Kodak used to employ 145,000 people. It's a precipitous decline. But the truth is, Kodak isn't alone. The business world is littered with names of once significant companies who made a series of poor, wrong decisions. Names like Compaq. Anybody have one of those computers? Radio Shack. Nokia. Maybe one that's a little too close to home, Kmart. All of these companies made these series of mistakes. When they had the opportunity to go one way, they chose the wrong path. Now, obviously, they didn't do that intentionally, but it was a series of mistakes that ultimately led to their peril. Now I've just talked to you about a few companies, but the fact of the matter is that happens in our lives as well, doesn't it? We can get on this path where men, women, and children, we make these decisions every single day. And when we come to the fork in the road, sometimes we make the wrong choice. And sometimes it's completely destructive. Sometimes that little choice leads to a big thing, and it's complete and utter destruction. Now today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that details this kind of action, this type of scenario where a group of people made poor decisions over and over and over again. And I want you to know the imagery that we're going to read today from God's Word is not for the faint of heart. It's pretty difficult to read, actually. So I want to give you that warning before we begin. The imagery is striking, but it's good for us to read it. You say, why is that good to read? Because what it does is it will guide us that you and I might not make those same destructive decisions Before we turn to this scripture, before we turn to this intense scripture, let's pray. Gracious God, you are holy, you are righteous. We just sung of your faithfulness, that your grace is amazing in our lives, and for all of those things we are thankful today. But God, many of us as we come into this place today, are struggling. We're wrestling as we've been reading Lamentations. We wrestle with things in our lives that are not going quite like we had designed them. We've come to the fork in the road and we've made the wrong turn. We're nearing that point on our journey and we want to make the right decision, God. As your people, we want to follow your ways and so God, today we need strength to do that. Give us clarity that we might see the truth and the significance of your word and how it applies to our lives today. So we need eyes to see this, this truth. We need ears to hear this truth. And then soft hearts before you to live out this truth in the week ahead. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church family, we are continuing our journey through the poetic... Work known as the Book of Lamentations. Five chapters in the latter half of the Old Testament is poetry filled with the cries of pain and angst and struggle and frustration and loneliness. It has it all. And for some of us, that mirrors our lives. It's a struggle. And so I hope that as you have been reading along, you've been able to identify with some of these things, whether you're working through the reading plan that we're sending out via text or working through the journals that we had in those first couple weeks. I hope that you've been able to enter in to the struggle, to the real-life things that we see on these pages because they matter to us. Now, as we look at these, As we look at chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, now we get to chapter 4. Now, the author is likely the prophet Jeremiah. We've established that in each of the past few weeks. He begins the book in the first two chapters with a lot of grief, a lot of sadness, a lot of frustration. We looked at that in the first couple of weeks. Then we kind of get the arc. It turns... In chapter 3, that's where he acknowledges that there's hope in the amazing character and goodness of God. And now here in chapter 4, we've crested and we're coming back down again. We're going to be reading some things that are intense and dark. So let's grab our Bibles and turn there with me if you can. Lamentations chapter 4, we're going to be reading those first Ten verses to begin. That's more. We'll be reading more of it throughout the day. So, if you want to have your uh, your bookmark there, go ahead and put it on chapter four. If you're using the ESV, you're going to find that on page 689. Here are the words of the prophet: How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold has changed. "'The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street, "'the precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold, "'how they are regarded as earthen pots, "'the work of the potter's hands. "'Even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young, "'but the daughter of my people has become cruel, "'like the ostriches in the wilderness.'" The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives it to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people have been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment and no hands were wrung for her. Their princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger. who wasted away, pierced by the lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. And that is where we are going to stop. I'm going to take you back to that first word in the whole portion of Lamentations. How? How, he asks. It's a word of disbelief in this context. He cannot believe what his eyes are seeing. So he asks the question twice. How has the gold grown dim? How the pure gold has changed? He makes these statements at the beginning of the text. And the reference seems to be that the objects of the gold in the temple They've been ransacked, they've been destroyed, they've been desecrated. And he sees the destruction of these things all over the streets. Jerusalem is absolutely in shambles. And what we read is the prophet lamenting. But it's not just about gold. It is not just about gold. He is is lamenting more than gold. He is lamenting the downward spiral of God's people that is detailed in that text. Listen to the destruction. Listen to the destructive path that is visualized in this section of the poem. In verse 2, the precious stones of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, now they are mere earthen vessels to step down children, beg for food. Nobody gives it to them. That's in verse 4. Also in verse 4, those who ate the finest foods, now they perish in the city streets. Their choices have led them to this point. In verse 6, the poet references Sodom. Now, if you don't know that city, that location, that was the epitome of godlessness in the Old Testament. And yet, The poet says they had it better than what Jerusalem Jerusalem is experiencing in this moment. Are you capturing the intensity of what's going on in the text? The situation is bleak, the situation is grim, and it is growing consistently darker. Consider the ongoing destruction. In verses 7 and 8, their faces become ashen, their skin is shriveled, they are so weak that they're unrecognizable. And in verses 9 and 10, the author gives us an absolutely disturbing glimpse at unspeakable acts that people resort to in the midst of a famine. It's brutal. And yet these gruesome pictures, they help you and I to see the first warning sign of destruction in our lives. And it is this when people become worthless. We know that we are on a path of destruction when people become worthless. We see this happening throughout our world today. Abortion happens every day in our country. The killing of babies continues to happen in our land. The elderly are ignored or cast aside in our culture today people with special needs, they're marginalized. That's not the way it should be. People are made in God's image. So this should not be. Now I'm guessing that as I said that, most of you would say, well of course pastor, I'm right there with you. I would never do the things that you're talking about right there. Now, in theory, we can all agree with that. We can all agree that we wouldn't do those things. Those are things that we would would stand against in our culture. But I want to take it from kind of the theoretical and the big picture, and I want to bring it down home and bring it right to you and to me to evaluate our daily lives in view of whether or not we view people as a priority, or really is worthless. Let me ask you a few questions. If you place more emphasis on the building of your career than you do of your spouse, you are walking a destructive path. If you invest more time in your hobbies than you invest in your kids, you are walking a destructive path. If you care more about money and the accumulation of stuff more than you care about people, you are walking a destructive path. Church, there's one surefire way that we can know that we're walking the wrong path when things become more important than people in our lives. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little bit of a self-assessment. You guys ready? Nobody's ready. (laughs) I want you to pull out your weekly calendar. And I want you to evaluate where you're investing your time. I want you to consider what you are investing, what you're pouring into. Does your your calendar tell a different story than your mouth might? If it is filled with hobbies and things that are not investing in people and the people in your life, then perhaps you need to rearrange the calendar. What are you investing in? What are you giving of your time, of your talent, of your treasure? Do my actions, do my actions show that I value people above things? That is a question that every single one of us needs to wrestle with this week. Now, let's look back to the text. Let's pick it up at verse Again, Lamentations chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. The Lord gave full vent to His wrath. He poured out His hot anger, and He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy would enter the gates of Jerusalem. They thought it impenetrable. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away! Unclean people cried at them. Away! Away! Do not touch! So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, They shall stay with us no longer. And the Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Church, the wrath of God is on full display in that text. Why? Why? Because of the prophets and the priests, that's why. Why? The prophets and the priests were practicing ungodly, destructive decisions and lifestyle. The prophet explains this in verse 13. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquity of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. You see, the religious leaders were leading the masses. They were leading the masses astray instead of leading God's people into act of worship. They were leading them astray. And that behavior is so shocking, so vile to God that he pours out his wrath. You see, the sin of the priests and the prophets leads to the blindness that was just described in verse 14. Then in verse 15, Judah's leaders become wanderers. They're just kind of meandering all over. They don't really have a place. And then it gets worse. The Lord himself has scattered them, scattered them, he will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests. No favor to the elders in church. This helps us see the second sign of destruction in our lives when unfaithful leaders lose God's protection. When unfaithful leaders lose God's protection, this is what scattering means, that the very presence of God is no longer upon them as he has dispersed them throughout the region. They're not centralized in that one place where they can consistently meet with God. They're scattered. You see, for 40 years, 40 years God had warned the prophets and the priests through the prophet Jeremiah, consistently speaking, calling out, turn, stop it, don't do that. But they turned against Jeremiah. And now God turns against them. Now God turns against them. Now, some of us are probably thinking hold up, wait a second. God is a loving God, God is a God of grace and of mercy. What do you mean he turned away from them? What is that about? God is a God of love and a God of grace, and a God of compassion. He is all of those things. That's why he sent Jeremiah to warn them. Forty years. Warning, warning, warning. It's like the light on the dashboard of your car is on every time you turn on the car. Boom, boom, right there every time, and you ignore it. Eventually, that is a path of destruction. You see, for 40 years, the religious leaders were warned and they were encouraged to repent, and yet they chose not to. And so we read about the wrath of God. His justice is right. It's hard, but it's right, because it comes from the character of a righteous and holy God. That's why it's right. I want to pause and have a bit of a pastoral moment with you. I want to make a few statements here that speak to Woodside Bible Church and specifically to the White Lake campus. I want you to know that the leadership of this church, Woodside Bible Church, Pastor Chris, Pastor Rob, Pastor Ben, we are flawed, broken people. I'm a mess. It's true. I am in need of God's grace in my life. But I can also tell you this. As a church, as a pastor, we have not nor will we turn our back on the word of God. We have not turned our back on faithfully pursuing God above all other pursuits and our culture. We regularly repent of sin and seek God's guidance and direction for our lives. That's what it means to serve in the role of spiritual or religious leader, the pastorate. Now, when I just said a few of those things, some of you probably recognize that during this past season of time, the role of pastor and the role of leadership at Woodside maybe did a few things that you didn't necessarily love. Trust me, I I heard about it. Some of that was directed at Woodside. Some of that was directed at me personally during one of the most difficult seasons of our lives. To wear a mask, to not wear a mask, to support this, to not support that. It was difficult for the, crea- for the frustration that we as a church created for you. I'm sorry. I genuinely am sorry for that. for remaining true to what God is calling us to do according to the Scriptures. I'm not sorry for that. That's what I'm called to do as a leader in God's church. That's what Pastor Chris is called to do as a leader in God's church. You see, the warnings that we see in the text were for the leaders. They were for the people who were supposed to lead God's people. Jeremiah gave them warning after warning, 40 years of warning, and they did not listen. And ultimately, that led to their destruction. They walked a path of destruction. Because of unfaithful leaders, they lost God's protection. I told you this text was hard. (laughs) Now let's close out today's Look at Lamentations 4 by looking at verses 17 through 22. It says, our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered. For our end, our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, anointed was captured in their pits in whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. There were a few no's in that text that it's important for us to recognize and to grab a hold of. Verse 17 highlights that God's people are given no salvation. What do you mean? There was no help coming from another nation. The physical needs that they had was not going to come from some other nation. They got nothing. Then you go to verses 18 and 19, there's going to be no escape. The prophet captures this kind of final rush of the Babylonian soldiers through the streets of Jerusalem and even up into the mountains. You cannot get away. There is no escape. There is no place for God's people to hide. And then it leads us to the third no. No hope. The once impenetrable city has been overrun. The once beautiful temple has now been destroyed. The once powerful king has been captured. There's no hope for God's people. And this points us to the third sign of destruction that you and I need to be aware of when hope is sought in the wrong places. When God's people seek hope in the wrong places. You see, what we see in this text is they're seeking hope in a position of power and of strength. They're seeking hope in some religious activity. They're seeking hope in a political power. And if the last year of our lives have taught us anything, we may have done it again. When our world was going through a pandemic, many within the church placed their hope solely on science. That's it. That's it. That's the fix. Others in our church placed their hope squarely on a political figure. That's it. That's going to fix it. And still others lost hope altogether. They didn't know where to turn. In the midst of the fear that was overwhelming and and probably touched every single one of us. They didn't know where to turn. The emotions and the struggles were real for all of us. But none of those things, not science, not politics, not conspiracy theories, none of those things gave us true, deep, abiding hope. None of them. They were all distractions I can say this this morning with confidence because nothing apart from God will give us that hope. Nothing. When we turn and look to hope in other places, in any of those things that I've highlighted or any of the things that you know in your own life that maybe that got your attention during this past season, those are the wrong places. We know this because of the last two verses in the text, verses 21 and 22. Only when God's people come in repentance in God, we find hope. Listen to these words. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom who... Dwell in the land of Uz. I don't know how to pronounce that. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. You see, the punishment is complete. The task has been accomplished. The debt has been paid For God's people. You see, Jesus is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. And he walked out the will of the Father. He took the wrath of the Heavenly Father upon himself so that you and I might live. God took that wrath and gave it to his son Jesus, and Jesus bore the wrath on the cross. You see, church family, it is only through repentance of our sin and faith in Jesus Christ that we're free from destruction. That's the only way. Only through repentance and faith in Jesus, that is where we find our true hope. Church, we know that there are many paths to destruction many. But there is one path that leads to life. And this is why Jesus declared, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I leave you with this. Are you on the right path? Are you walking